Now, today we are in part two of our series called Revealed. And in this series, we're learning what God's names reveal to us about him. And if you weren't with us last week, last week, Tim started us off, did a great job of helping us understand the name Elohim, which means strong creator and sustainer of life. And then he helped us understand the name Yahweh, which can also be used as Jehovah. And that talks about God's ever presence in our lives. And Tim did a great job of helping us understand those names wrapped up in his own personal story of how God has revealed those names to him. And I encourage you, if you missed that message, go to our website, go to our YouTube channel, our, our Facebook page, and our iTunes account, listen to that message. It was a powerful message. And today, we're going to dig deeper into another name for God, which is a very personal name for God. And we've got this really cool thing that's actually happening uh, this week, starting today. We've got new community groups that are starting, and they're using this series, this revealed series, as their study. We've got seven. 76 new people diving into community with us, representing six new small groups, new community groups, with 28 community groups across the board in our church. And so I'm super excited for, for those people that are diving into community with us. We're praying for you. I, I pray that you experience life in the context of community is way better than doing life by yourself. We were never meant to do life Alone. So we're praying for those of you who are diving in to community with us. Now, as we begin for today, let me ask this question. How many of you like to be misunderstood? <laughs> Anybody? All right, not too many people like to be misunderstood. I've got some friends that are a little bit on the sarcastic side and they don't mind it occasionally because they like to stir the pot sometimes. But most often, we don't like to be misunderstood. And I don't like to be misunderstood. What I hate more than being misunderstood is when I can't correct someone's wrong understanding of me. And I find that as a pastor, I deal with misunderstanding all the time. Uh, I find myself almost weekly interacting with, with someone who's got a misunderstanding about me or a misunderstanding about our church. And uh, not long ago, I met some new people to Epic and in that conversation, I said something that was misunderstood. When I tried to correct it, and, and I said, that's not what I meant, I meant this, the damage was done, and the people held on to what they thought I meant, and I haven't seen them since. So I hate it when I can't correct someone's wrong understanding of me. But think about how we do that with God. We misunderstand God all the time time. We misunderstand what he says in scripture. We misinterpret his motives. We misinterpret his character, his heart. I mean, we misunderstand God all the time. So through this series, what we're trying to do is understand God more accurately through what his names reveal to us about him. His names reveal his character, his names reveal his attributes, and more importantly, his names reveal how we should respond, how we should interact with God. And if you're somebody here today who says, you know, I don't even know if God exists, but if he does, he's probably angry, he probably doesn't care about me, you're going to find out today that that simply is not true. 
Now, we're going to explore something today that we have explored in this past series. So our past series, New Name, we looked at this story, but we're going to look at a new aspect of this story, kind of a story within a story. And the story that we're going to look at today involves Abraham and Sarah. Anybody ever heard of them before? Okay, so most of us have heard of Abraham and Sarah. And if you're not familiar with their story, they had different names before God came along and interacted with them. Their names were Abram and Sarai. And God came along to them and chose them to be the father and the mother of his specially chosen people, the Israelites, and then ultimately anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The only problem for them was they didn't have any kids. And at that time, Sarai was 65 years old. When God came along and made this promise to her that one day you're going to have a child of your own. Now, ladies, imagine being 65 and thinking about having a baby. Like, that would be a little bit weird, I I would think. And God was not fast in fulfilling his promise. He actually took 25 years to fulfill that promise. So I'm not great with math, but I think that equals 90. So Sarah's 90 years old when God fulfills this promise. Like, that's amazing that they waited 25 years. Like, I don't know about you, but I struggle to wait 25 seconds sometimes for God to work in my life. They waited 25 years, but they got tired of waiting after about 10 years. So listen to what they did after 10 years of waiting. Genesis 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now, we don't have to read any further to know this is a stupid idea. But let's read further, okay? So verse four says, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. It certainly sounds like Abraham and Sarah could use some good marriage therapy you know, right about now in this story. They have entered the crazy cycle that most couples get into. And to be honest with you, my wife and I have a crazy cycle that we get into when things don't work out. I start blaming her. She starts blaming me. And we get into that cycle that we need to break. And that's the cycle that they are in in that moment. And so in verse 6, Abram responds like a true man. I mean, he steps up to deal with this issue. Watch what he does. He says, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. So what does he do? He bows out. He he says, I'm not getting between two angry women. Uh Uh-uh. So moral of the story, you should not marry multiple women, guys. Why? Because it creates all kinds of dysfunction. You should not do that. They did that. And verse 6 says, Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly, she finally ran away. Now, where'd she run away to? 
God had called them away from their home. Spent a little time in Egypt, but at this point in the story, they're in the middle of nowhere. They have no home. God is taking them to the promised land, this land that he's promised to give to their descendants, but it's not their home at this point. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and so she runs away to the wilderness. What's out there? Nothing. And verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? Let me pause there for just a second. I think those are two great questions to ask ourselves periodically in life. Where have I come from? Where am I going? Sometimes we don't pause enough to kind of evaluate our lives and kind of look at the GPS of life to see like, where am I headed in life? And sometimes we end up in places that we don't like, even though we're the ones taking our lives in that direction. And so it's, it's very helpful to occasionally pause and answer the question that the angel of the Lord asked Hagar, and I think still asks us, is where have you come from? Where are you going in life? Is it the place that you want to go? Is it the place that God wants you to go? And then Hagar responds. She says, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And then in verse 13, it says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And she also said, have I truly seen the God who sees me? So the Hebrew translation of the word that she gave God, the, the new name that she gave to God is El Roy, which means the God who sees. And there are four powerful things I think that we can learn from this interaction. And, and the first is this. This is one of the first recorded Christophanies that we find in the Bible. And we've referenced Christophany uh, in our past series recently, so we know a little bit about that. But when you see the term, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that often is a reference to Jesus before we know him as Jesus. And you might wonder, well, how do we know that? Listen to verse 10 again. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord said, I will give you more descendants than you can count. No other angel spoke like that. Gabriel, the archangel who delivered most of the messages that we see recorded in scripture from God to people, often would reveal himself as Gabriel. He would show up in somebody's life and say, hey, hi, I'm Gabriel. Stop freaking out. Like, I'm here to give you a message. And most times when an angel revealed themselves, people freaked out. They were scared to death. And so Gabriel would say, I'm Gabriel. And I'm here to give you a message. It's a message from God. God says this. This angel doesn't say that. This angel gets very personal. This angel says, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And here's the significance of that. And I think the second powerful thing this story reveals to us about God. 
So the second thing is this. God the son found Hagar when she ran away. She didn't go out to the wilderness to find God. God went out to the wilderness to find her. And his actions sound a whole lot like how Jesus described God in Luke 15. So we're going to step out of Genesis for just a moment. We're going to go to to Luke for just a second to see how Jesus describes God the Father in his heart and his character and his love for us. Verse 1 says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Verse 3 says, so Jesus told him this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, will he, uh, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus tells us God loves to find lost people. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you here on campus, or maybe that's you watching online. Like maybe you feel lost in some way. Maybe you feel lost with what's happening in our nation right now. Maybe you feel lost in your life because there's some uh, family member, or somebody that you've known well has, has passed, and you're struggling to, to figure out like, how to move forward in your life. Maybe you're lost right now because there's a relationship issue going on in your life. You've got this relationship that's falling apart, and maybe you feel lost because of that. Maybe you're running away from something difficult, and you're running into the wilderness. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You're just lost. Maybe you can't get over something that that somebody has done to you or something that happened to you in your past, and so maybe that's caused you to feel lost or... Maybe you've spent so much time trying to do the right things, but it just feels like sometimes doing the right thing just doesn't lead to the right places, and so you feel a little bit lost about that. You're trying to obey God, and and yet you don't feel like you're getting any traction. Maybe you feel lost. If you're lost today, guess what? God loves you. God wants to find you. And the cool thing about God is he's not lost. He never pulls out his GPS to figure out where he's at. He never goes like, wait a second, I got turned around. Let me find out where I'm at on the map. He knows where he is, and he knows where you are. He knows how to find you. So if you're lost, I believe, God will find you. The question is, will you be found by him? Will you allow him to find you? Our third truth from the story tells us that God sees and hears everyone, even people that we overlook. So remind me again who Hagar was in this story. She was a servant, uh, also known as an Egyptian slave. We don't know how she became a slave. We don't know how she became a servant. We don't know when that happened, but she's a servant in somebody else's household. 
She is not Sarah, who God came to and said, you're going to be the mother, basically, of uh, the Jewish nation. She's a servant. So why would God show up to care for her like that? And why would God show up and reveal himself to her? So think about the significance of this. So one of the first times that God decides to reveal his son to someone on earth, he reveals his son to an Egyptian slave girl. With that decision, God elevated her status. Many Muslims today view Hagar as the mother of of Muslim nations. They, they view her like the Jews view Sarah as the mother of the Jewish nations. And, and you got to wonder, like, why would God care about this slave girl from Egypt? It's because God cares about everybody. He cares about every single person in the world. And that means God cares about you. You don't have to do something significant for God to care about you. You don't have to lead a 1,000 people to Jesus before God will notice you. God knows you. And he cares very much about you. And he wants to show up and reveal himself to you, regardless of how you feel about yourself or what you think about yourself. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, in verse 6. He said, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? which is not a lot of money, said, and yet God does not forget a single one of them. So God cares and is very aware of birds that like, we don't even really pay much attention to. And then he says in verse 7, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Some of us are helping God out with his counting. He continues and he says, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So you are more valuable to God than anything. In fact, God through Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, you are God's masterpiece. I don't know if you wake up feeling like a masterpiece. Most days I don't. Most days I wake up feeling like a piece of something, but not a masterpiece. And yet God says, you are a masterpiece. God not only cares about you, but he sees you and he hears you. And he gets real personal with Hagar. And he says, listen, I want you to name your son Ishmael, which means God hears. God heard her in her cries of distress. God heard her when she was going through that harsh treatment from Sarah. God heard her when she was lost in the wilderness and and didn't know where to turn, didn't know what to do. God heard her, and he decided to show up to help her. And that's the fourth thing I think that we can learn from this story. God cares enough about us to show up and help us. And if you think about what Jesus did, we talked about a little bit ago at the beginning of the the message, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he came to earth, he took on the form of, of humanity and he died in our place on the cross. Like you can't get a clearer picture of God showing up for us than that. 
And if that's all God ever did for us, that would be enough. But that's not where God stops. God continues to show up and reveal himself and show up and help us in times of need. And here's an example from my life. So last November, uh, my daughter Maddie was getting married to her fiance, Josh. And they had traveled a long way to, to get here. There was a lot of planning that had gone into that. And the week of their wedding, we lost the wedding venue. So we had planned to hold the wedding in a certain place, the reception in a certain place. The wedding party was going to stay there as well. So like everything was wrapped around this place. And we lost it because of COVID. So you can imagine the panic that that threw us in that week where we're trying to figure out what do we do, where do we go? And so my wife calls Princess Place Preserve in our community. If you're not familiar with that, you should go check it out. It's a beautiful location. And uh, we called just to see, is there any openings out there? And usually they are booked 10 months in advance. Well, that weekend, they happened to have an opening because the person who reserved it 10 months prior didn't pay their deposit. And so it became available. Coincidence? I don't think so. It was not coincidence for us. Here's a picture of Maddie and Josh's wedding in that location. It was beautiful. Turned out to be a beautiful day. Then we had to figure out where we were going to have the reception. And anybody seen the movie, The Father of the Bride? Anybody seen that? You know the dad in that story? That's me on most occasions when I'm interacting with my kids around wedding kind of stuff. So I'm telling my kids, like, one day we're going to have a wedding in our backyard, and it's just going to be fantastic. I'm going to grill. It's going to be a cookout, like a picnic. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And then when my wife said, I think we need to have our reception in our backyard, I panicked. Why? Because I had an old playground in our backyard that I had built 18 years prior when my kids were little that was falling apart. And I'm thinking, that's going to take me weeks to get rid of. And our backyard was not landscaped well. Like It looked like a, you know, a bomb went off back there. Like It just did not look great to have a wedding reception in your backyard. And so God showed up. He showed up through people in our small group and people in our church family. So we had people show up at our house to help us tear that thing down, landscape, and do some beautification in our backyard and help in our house. Like We had a lot of people come to help us pull that off. And there is no possible way that that could have happened without their help. And here's a picture of that reception in our backyard. And it turned out perfect. And I was so grateful that it was dark and we had the, the lights that kind of hid you know, some of the things I didn't want people seeing. But it turned out to be a beautiful event that happened because God showed up through a group of people in our church family who loved us enough to help us in our time of need. One of my friends that was helping with this reminded me the other day that it was calling for rain that day. And it sprinkled uh, on the reception a little bit at the beginning of it. Uh, but God held that rain off. And when he was driving home a mile away, it had soaked the neighborhood a mile away. And I just can't help but think God just put a little umbrella over my little backyard and said, I'm going to show up and help you guys in this time of need. Now, how might God show up in your life? I'm not sure. 
I don't know how God might show up for you. Uh, He might show up by answering a prayer that you've been praying for a long time. He might show up and uh, send someone to be Jesus with skin on in your time of need. He might show up and help you walk through a difficult thing that you're walking through, like he did with Hagar, because he told Hagar, I want you to go back and submit to Sarah's authority. So I'm not sure how God might show up, but he is the God who sees, he's the God who hears, he's the God who finds us, he's the God who shows up to help us. Listen to Psalms 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Then verse 19 says, the righteous person faces troubles, many troubles, But the Lord comes to the rescue. How many times? Each time. The Lord comes to the rescue each time. There is not a time that you are in need that God is not at work, that God is not going to show up and help you. It may not be exactly what you want. It may not come exactly when you want it. But there is not a moment that God will not show up to help you. He sees you. He hears you. He wants to find you. He wants you to know that you belong to his family. He wants to rescue you. He did that with Hagar. He blessed Hagar. He blessed her with a son, Ishmael. Blessed Ishmael with many children who went on to lead many nations. And he did that because he cared about this servant girl from Egypt, and God cares about you this morning. Now, as we close today, um, we're going to spend some time in prayer, and as we're praying, I'm going to talk to two different groups of people, and after we finish praying, our worship team is going to guide us through a new song that our worship leader, Matt, has written specifically for this message about El Roy the God who sees. Uh, So if you're in a spot of desperation where you're crying out to God, I encourage you to cry out to him through this song and, and know today that he hears you, he sees you, he knows exactly where you are, and he's gonna show up to help you. Will you believe in him for that? So let's all uh, bow our heads close our eyes together as we get ready to pray. As we begin praying, I'm just curious to know if there's anybody here willing to admit that you're lost right now. Maybe you're lost emotionally, maybe you're lost relationally, maybe you're you're lost mentally with something that's going on in your life, and if you feel a little lost, would you raise your hand real quick? Just hold it up for just a second. I see that. Thank you. So God, here's what we pray for these courageous people that feel lost. Lord, that they would have an experience like Hagar where you would show up, where you would see them, hear them, find them, rescue them. Lord, you know exactly what they need in their lives right now. And God, I pray that that you would reveal yourself 
to them, even today, they'd begin to see you doing something in their lives. They would take another step towards trusting you because of who you are. You are El Roy, the God who sees. As we continue to pray, I wonder if there's anybody here today or watching online who would say, you know what, I'm lost spiritually. And, and maybe what you mean by that is you don't have a relationship with, with God through Jesus. And yet today, after hearing what, what God feels about you and what God will do for you, like maybe you'd say, I want that. And I'm curious, is there anybody here today willing to say, I'm lost spiritually, but I want to be found by God today? If so, would you hold up your hand? Just hold up your hand. I see one hand, thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Great, and there might be folks, you can put your hands down. There might be folks watching online that are symbolically raising their hand as well. Let me just tell you, if you're in that spot, the way that you are found by God is by telling him that you need him. Saying, God, I need you. I need a personal relationship with you. Jesus, I believe you died so I can have eternal life. And I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. And I encourage you to have that conversation with God during this final song. And if you do, guess what? God's listening. And God will respond. He will adopt you today and bring you in to his family. So I encourage you to have that conversation today with God. If anybody needs to talk to somebody or pray with someone after the service, I encourage you to go to our care center before you leave. Uh, we've got some amazing people there that love to talk with you. And I'll be out there as well. I'd love to, to meet you and, and maybe pray with you. So let's finish praying together. God, we're so grateful for our understanding of, of who you really are. You're not an uncaring God who sits at a distance um, unaffected by the things that we experience in our lives. You're a God who sees us, hears us, will find us, and will show up to help us. And Lord, I, I'm so grateful for the courageous people today willing to say, I need to be found by you. And Lord, I know that, that you will step into their world and reveal yourself to them in a very personal way, just like you did for Hagar. So Lord, we praise you this morning for being the God who sees. In Jesus' name.